You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. Today we welcome Alexis Quaresma to our studio. Alexis is a California-based advertising sports, dance, and fashion photographer and director, and he's here to talk about his dynamic lighting techniques. We're also going to pick his brains on topics regarding self-promotion, meetings with art directors and editors, and getting that next assignment. Just a glance at Alexis' work and you're going to realize why he's here to discuss his lighting techniques and why we're not the only ones who admire his work. He shot for Sports Illustrated, including six covers, Fortune Magazine, Ring Magazine, The New York Times, and his clients include, among others, Nike. Welcome to the show, Alexis. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good nice. you could join us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, just a quick note to our listeners. In the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about a few of his photographs and how he achieved them. So what I would suggest you do is check out his site or our landing page to take a look at these photographs. Um, but let's start talking about your, photo- your photographic techniques. One of the things that John and I picked up on when reviewing your work, uh, doing our homework here. Mm-hmm. You're a big advocate of doing everything in camera, all of your effects, your filters, your lighting, stuff like that. A lot of people say, we'll just fix it later post, but you're big on doing everything in camera. And I'm real big about that too. So want to talk a bit about that? Yes. Um, one of the things um, on that topic that I like to say is that um, a lot of People in general tend to like options or they think that options are, are luxuries. You know, if you got like a million different options, I like to say I prefer clarity anytime over options. Because um, if you're clear on what you want, you could get get it quicker, faster, more efficient. Mm-hmm. And options, um, I like to say, are just kind of noise. So um, all this stuff that you do is to give you more options in posts. And I don't want to spend you know, three, five hours in post deciding, oh, should I change the color temperature there? Should I do this? Should I do that? If you already know beforehand how you want it to look, you could do a lot of those effects in camera. But that requires understanding your gear, doesn't it? Yes, that requires understanding. <laughs> well, that's, that, that also requires having a point of view too. Yes. And, and, um, and not being apologetic. Yeah, and pre-visualizing that and, and knowing your craft. Uh, you could get away um, with not necessarily knowing your craft if you could build a good team and hire knowledgeable people around you. But even then, that's something that I don't like do- doing because then you're at the mercy of somebody else's knowledge and their sincerity. Mm-hmm. Too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yes. if you know the, the craft and, uh, of, like, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm getting into directing more, which I love. And uh, directing is kind of like you have to know a little, it helps if you know a little bit of everything, like a little bit of sound, a little bit of lighting. And that, uh, knowing lighting has helped me out a lot and knowing what's achievable. Gotcha. Now, this wasn't even in, 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 our, in our, our little script here, but you mentioned directing and things of that sort. Um, are you finding yourself more attracted to moving images as opposed to still images? I love storytelling, and there's just so much more creatively you could do with um, when you're directing. There's, there's the move camera movement. You could play with the light uh, flickering or dimming on and off, and you have music too. You can have voiceover. It's just so many more uh, variables that you have that give you more creativity, mm-hmm. uh, which it, which is amazing. Again, if you have clarity on what you want, if you don't, then it could just be overwhelming. That that I think that's a really really good point because uh, again if you know exactly what you want it's easier to get it and it's it's a lot more efficient on time rather than mm-hmm. just going in and just doing a shotgun approach and hoping that something good comes out of it. Yeah, a lot of the, those things unfortunately um, happen because when you have clients and they're paying you a lot of money, they want to take 
control away from you mm-hmm. or they want to have options and posts. Yeah, but you know, I, I get a little bit of uh, uh, crazy from that because the way I look at it, and again, every situation is different and every client is different. You got personalities and everything else. Mm-hmm. If a client has a specific vision and they're hiring you, they're hiring you for a very specific reason because they know you can do something. They know that you're good. They know that you have a talent and a craft. And in most cases, I would assume that they're hiring you for your vision, for your clarity, and for your insight. And then they come in and they want to just take over the game. Yeah. So how do you handle that? Um, it, it's it's difficult because even very well-respected people, um, I don't know if you know who Bob Richardson is. He's yeah. a, a award, uh, um, Academy Award-winning cinematographer. Mm-hmm. And he famously removed his, his uh, credit from a movie because the studio changed the entire look without his permission and consent. Uh, so that happens to even, you know, very notable people. And that's something that's going on in, in, in Hollywood too right now because everything's digital and you could get previews right away that cinema, cinematographers talk about before when it was just um, film. There, you know, there's a big talk debate on whether The Godfather will look how it was, you know, if, if it was <laughs> right. like, if the, everybody was able to preview how it looked and, you know, and... Um, Lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. On there. And like, because before it was kind of alchemy, you know, you would have to just trust the light meter and only the cinematographer knew how it would look. So it's always a, a fine balance. I What I try to do and how I handle that with clients is I always try to uh, give them what they want in, in addition for me doing what I want to personally, and I give them both. Well, I think that's the key thing. When, when the client has a very specific idea and they, they're paying you for that, yeah. you got to deliver what they ask for. But I think it's also really cool if you can say, okay, here's what you want to do. Now let me try, let me play my thing. And how often do they f- end up going with your idea as opposed to their idea. Does that happen often? Yeah, uh, I'd like to say all, not all the time, but- um, all the time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> always. But like the, the first big assignment I had, or quote unquote big break, um, was the first assignment I did for Sports Illustrated. Um, I think it was 2013, where Brad Smith, um, was, was, he, he gave me the opportunity. He worked, I met him at the Eddie Annis workshop. Mm-hmm. And he hired me, he was with the New York Times originally. He hired me for a few assignments and went really well. And then uh, he moved to Sports Illustrated. And he gave me a portrait assignment, um, which I was super thrilled for. But I remember when he gave me the assignment, he was, um, Alexis, I know you know how to light really well. Just get her gray seamless and light them really nice. Um, and he gave, gave me the whole, whole idea of the assignment. And then he gave me some some of the best advice I've ever gotten, which was um, at the end before uh, he hung up after giving me the assignment was like, um, uh, Alexis, I, I, you know, I loved you at the Adiana's workshop. I loved the work you did for me in the New York Times. I want you to be our guy in the burial when we need portraits. And uh, right after he said that, he gave me the assignment. He was like, keep it simple, have fun, and don't fuck it up. <laughs> right? And I was like, whoa. Great like, advice. Right? That was great advice. And, uh, ABC. Um, yeah, I uh, I didn't listen to him because I um. So I knew there was something I liked about you. Yeah, so that's uh, one of the things when when I speak in 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 college, right? I tell people don't listen to anyone, listen to yourself. Because I remember when he gave me that assignment being really excited and I felt like he kind of stabbed me in the heart when he told me it needs to look this way and keep it simple. And I remember thinking, if I do just what he tells me, he'll be happy with it, right? The magazine could be happy. I know all my friends and colleagues would be thrilled for me. They're like, oh, you shot this for Sports Illustrated. Congratulations. Uh, and, and the athlete would get that promotion. But I remember thinking, then what about me? Right? I'm not going to care. I don't care if it's, I'm not going to be proud to show that tear sheet because it looks nothing how I would want it to look. And then I remember kind of feeling cornered and thinking like, um, man, like I, I've done enough assignments to know where I don't want to waste my time doing my own look. Because I know if they tell you you have an hour, they could leave in 15 minutes. 
and the shot list I had was like the length of my arm. They wanted a lot of different options. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man. So I did extra homework on that one. And I figured out how I could do two lighting setups at the same time. And um, I shot them both simultaneously, like at the same time um, on the motor drive. And um, what it was is I put them on the speed cycler and the pocket wizard. <laughs> and then so the first look was the one Brad wanted. And the second one was the one I wanted. And it was shot with a sports camera that shoots 10 frames a second. So it was a two-shot burst. Right. So you get two shoots at a fraction of a second. Oh, wow. So you get the same exact look. <laughs> and uh, um, I, so I did extra homework on that one yeah. on top of um, researching uh, my subject. And then the one they ran was with my look. That's great. Which was reset. And then after that, I kind of got um, that, that. I had to do that to kind of prove myself mm -hmm. and uh, and show them, look, this is a, like, please hire me for what I want. Right, and then right, the right. next assignment, like, I, um, and after those, I've been given like just creative control. Let me ask you this because you even mentioned the idea of homework. Uh, you know, if you have this clarity, this idea of what you want to shoot going in, there's a lot of prep time that comes with that. I mean, and, and that may be the flip side to yep. the, the, the time that you, someone might spend on post. So what kind of homework do you do? What kind of testing do you do? What kind of setups do you do before, you know, that person comes in for their five minutes? Yeah. So the, what I do, I know every photographer is, is different. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I've learned the hard way is kind of you got to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I've heard photo portrait photographers specifically say that when they photograph someone, they want to know nothing about them because they believe that the first 10 minutes you meet somebody or the most honest or, or you know, or, or this, I, I, that does not work for me. And so I know myself well enough. I know that I, I, I'm, I don't listen well to them. So <laughs> I do all my research on them. I try to find out everything. I Google them. I find out interviews they do. Um, I want to know if they're married, divorced, have kids, love dogs or anything. So I know well, also projects they're working on. So I have things I could talk to them about mm -hmm. them and make that connection. On the lighting sense, usually uh, if I get the story mm -hmm. um, or anything, I could usually pre-visualize in my head how I want it to look. And then I sometimes draw the diagram. And um, what I used to do is, is figure out I could do plan A, B, C, and C and do, and do like a bunch of different looks. But now I, I've done experience enough to I start off every photo shoot pretending it's going to be a 30 second photo shoot because <laughs> I've had to do a few yeah. 30 second ones and I, I treat it like that when they start I pretend that person's just going to let me like take seven pictures and then walk out so I get solid stuff I get a really tight headshot I get a three quarter shot and if they're still cool after that okay cool then I could pretend it's like a three minute photo shoot and, and it's get all the gravy after that yeah and, and then the, um, some uh, of the homework that you do like the research on on the people that you're going to photograph mm -hmm. does that affect the, the lighting technique that you're going to work for, the look that you're going to go for? I mean, let's say you learn something about a character or a person and you say, you know what, that idea I had in lighting, I'm going to change that up and do something like this because I just read something about them that I know. Yeah, it, it does. I, I, what, I, what I do is, one of the things I like to say is um, I put my flaws directly into my work mm -hmm. and that's what makes it me. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the best compliments I get is when people say, I know it's your picture without even seeing a credit for yeah, it. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I put my, my flaws directly into it. So when it comes to photography or, or video too as well, yes, there are rules and yes, there are things that quote unquote work. And like a three-point lighting system and doing stuff like that. But I think it's better if you start putting your own meaning behind things. Like, right, use colors because of what the colors mean to you and, and doing that. So um, one great example of that is I, when I had a shoot with uh, Chris Paul for the New York Times, the story was on his hands because he's the number one defender. And he had to have a few surgeries on his hands because of all the, you know, how beat up they were from doing that. And I originally, the idea of how I wanted to light him was kind of hierarchy, how I lit, how I did a portrait of LeBron James. And when I was setting up data in the, in the media room at the Staples Center, 
I just that just didn't feel right at all. And I'm like, I don't think that that looks gonna go well. So I just like last minute I decided, you know what, the background needs to be all black. And I need to change the setup to, um, I had four lights because that's the original way I do it, you know, and it ended up being just three lights. And I changed the look completely about it and it went a lot better. It yeah. was like quieter, quieter look and um, it fit the story better. Maybe you can, I, there's, in a lot of your work, there's a lot of dark spaces and, and they're beautiful, you know, they kind of, mm -hmm. they obviously highlight the lighting effects and everything like that. How do you create some of these these dark spaces? I would say 19 percent if not 95 plus percent of my images are 100 lit by strobes mm -hmm. so if the trigger doesn't go off yeah. the, the the picture will be completely dark. black right. so i like lighting from from the ground up mm -hmm. and and from scratch and that's essentially how i do it and then i just select the lighting either with a controller with snoots grids or flags and i just light what i want gotcha gotcha like that, yeah. interesting well Jumping back a little bit to what we started with uh, this idea, I mean, you must do some work in post. Uh, what, oh, definitely, what, yeah. definitely. It's not, uh, I get it as much as I can in camera and in other things. Um, it uh, One of the things that's also really important um, is to keep the um, momentum and flow going in the photo shoot. So a lot of times, and a lot of my works, it's, a, it's um, believe it or not, it's a compromise on the images. I, I, I sacrifice any time perfect lighting to keep the motivation and flow going and get the moment and keep the momentum up of your talent. Um, and then that's sometimes where you have to fix stuff in post. Yeah. Um, and sometimes uh, cool. you, you kind of just live with it. Like the basketball picture mm -hmm. um, uh, of the guy dunking, mm -hmm. that's really great. Mm -hmm. Like that one, like those windows just like irritate me. Like I wish <laughs> I would have shot him on the other side or, or, or fix him. But I was like, he's, he's doing that. He can dunk a few times and, and you can't do it. And, and But the, the shot's still solid. And what but, about color? When it comes to color, will you touch and adjust or that's the kind of stuff that you don't want to touch once you get into post um I, the color I, I i adjust i try to get it in camera as much as i can mm -hmm. and then i finesse it a lot in yeah. post because in, in post you could get the toning just exactly down to how you want it but uh, um i usually i, I get um I, I work with roscoe gels mm -hmm. a lot and then um i i could pre-plan the color scheme just by laying out the gels yeah. and seeing how much color of each will will give a good color pattern and then I gel the lights on that. How how true is the fidelity and the end result when you see your stuff either in print or on a, a screen? Do you, the, the, the colors, because a lot of the colors you do are very, very subtle, little blends you do. Do most of them translate well ultimately? Or do you ever look at them and go, oh, it's not what I wanted to do? Definitely, you know, I've never had issues with that. They translate pretty well. Okay. Because uh, I know a lot of photographers have um, issues when they print stuff. They always say it never looks how they want it to look. And I've never had that problem. So it translate, tra translates pretty well. Okay. Yeah. I just know for them, no, if you look at the raw file, though, compared to the final file, the raws always look flat because, oh, you yeah. know, they have all that. Yeah, so, like, yeah. the pop I added on the on the final file. But when the, th the final image that you finally approve and send off, though, it's been reproducing fairly faithfully. Yep. Okay. Hmm. All right. Actually, I'm looking, maybe we'll talk about this in a little bit, I'm looking at that photo you mentioned of the guy slamming with the windows. Did you cover those windows a bit or was that like that already? No, so I, uh, um, see, that's the reason where I, I, I should have listened to, to my gaffer. Uh, <laughs> it helped me out when I was getting the gear. Yeah. So on that one, I had two uh, Profoto 10A packs. They're yeah. 2,400 watt seconds each. Yeah. And I had them at full blast. So when I was getting all the gears for that shoot, uh, my gaffer was just like, um, dude, you should take four of them and, and use twin heads on each. And mm. I'm like, ah, dude, I think that's, that's, that's dude, I think one I, I think one on each side is plenty is four AMX. He's like, you should take four just in case. And I'm like, no, I think that that'll be fine. And then um um I did it and they were both maxed out, but since I gel them and because of the distance yeah. that they have to be, yeah. I was um I usually like to be ISO one hundred F sixteen to knock out all the ambient light. On that one I had to be I think ISO 
400 like F13 or so if I remember Ooh, okay. correctly. Um, so the, having the other extra stop would have helped out a lot and bring bring down those those windows. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and was your assistant the rest of the day going? Told you so. On, on that shoot, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the gaffer, no, that was in there. But on that shoot, I actually uh, didn't have an assistant. Ah, okay. Yeah, I just uh, um, I worked with uh, with Tyler, that's the basketball player. Oh, okay. Who was amazing? He reached out to mm-hmm. me. Um, I met him and uh, he's six 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 seven has a forty two inch vertical, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, when you you I don't know a lot of people like that, and he was down to to do whatever I wanted, and uh, so we did that shoot, and um I did have a stylist in that shoot, and I did have a hair and makeup artist, and uh, um or a groomer if it's a guy you call it a groomer, um and everything else I just invested in in getting the gym and the lighting, and I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves and and get out of it, and I find that sometimes it's quicker because it's like I know what I want. Versus um, trying to articulate it to an assistant. You uh, you seem to be you know really well developed in your in the use of gels. Can you speak a little bit about some of the I don't know some of the stumbling blocks along the way of using gels, and, and of course some of the techniques you've picked up along the way. Yeah, I, I think um, some of the stumbling blocks for people in general, or yeah, yeah, yeah using gels. Yeah, some problems I think the biggest stumbling block for people in general is they don't understand Calvin temperature. They said the auto white the white balance. I was to just going to ask you if you could auto white balance, man. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> nothing works. Yeah, it'll be terrible. So I'm I'm, I'm manual everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the main camera I shoot with is a Canon 5DS, mm-hmm. but I also shoot with the view camera, eight by ten, or I have a Leica M3, mm-hmm. and I, and I like like I like those manual cameras because there's no excuse. Right. Like right, if the image comes out wrong, it's you can't blame the camera mm-hmm. or the autofocus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, it's your fault if it didn't come out well. And, and for I think color, what people could struggle struggle with a lot is they don't know, you know, tw- what twenty five hundred Kelvin does. They don't know that daylight is around fifty six hundred Kelvin, and if you drop the, the the white balance, it'll look blue. If you increase it, it looks yellow, um, and and that's something I play with a lot because I like warm, cold tones, and also um, it's color theory. Like I, I learned that a lot in in art class, and it just made me aware of colors, and and I just give meaning to colors sometimes, and I just represent them, or sometimes I just want it to look cool. Uh, I, I like saying it uh, has visual impact and I just like l- study complementary colors and pick the color palette out and then put it out with the gels. So that's one thing you don't get on Instagram filters is an understanding, <laughs> seriously, yeah. is an understanding of the background of all of that stuff. Um, did you learn on a film camera or digital? Because uh, you mentioned that you're shooting with an 8x10. That's, yeah. that's the exception of the rule these days. That's just not the norm. Yeah, I in college, uh, fortunately, when I started, it was still on the cusp of like okay. transitioning. So, um, yeah, I did do a dark room and develop my own film and everything, which I, I loved. And um, I loved uh, the lighting class was shot on the eight by ten view, four by five view camera, and we shot uh, chrome. Uh, and so I you love had it. to know what you were doing. You mm-hmm. had what, like, what a third of a stop of uh, wiggle room for exposure. Yeah, and it cost you a. Five bucks a sheet and five bucks to have whatever it is. It wasn't cheap to do that, so you have to learn photography, and I guess that serves you well now. Yeah, I pretend um, every shoot that I do that I'm shooting eight by ten chrome. So that's how <laughs> I approach the shoots on there. And um, you know, we're laughing, but actually, that's an amazing discipline, and yeah, that that yeah. really puts everything into perspective. It really does. Yeah, and uh, when you're doing that, it just makes you think of everything mm-hmm. and doing it. And um, once I get the shot, I move on and I've had like models tell me about that when it worked out because other photographers were just like keep shooting and shooting and shooting and I'm like if we get it after like three shots and we get what I want let's do the next setup yeah and and that's something that I need to it's really funny in this in this room we've heard everything from like yeah I want to work real slowly to machine gun yeah. I want to get 20,000 exposures per minute and then I'll pick out the best moment 
they both have their, they're both valid ways of working, but there's something to be said about working slowly like that. And you mentioned uh, the pro photos. Can you tell us what your, your general set is, uh, your general kit that you bring with you for in-studio and even for location? And yeah, then, yeah. I, don't, I don't have one. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I, I try to tell photographers mm -hmm. um, when I speak in universities or anything. Don't, don't be so concerned about how much gear you have because that could be an, an anchor. Yeah. You know, that could be a bad thing. Like, you're not a... Um, Never compete on gear, and you're not. You're gonna if you're gonna compete. On, oh, I have seven lights or this camera. You're gonna lose to anyone that has access to a rental house, yeah. right? Because everybody, <laughs> yeah, have all right. that stuff. <laughs> so what I always do is I, I usually have a a, a vision, uh -huh. then I draw it out, and I always let the vision that I have dictate what gear I need. Okay. So that could be sometimes I need the setups. I'll need ten lights, or I need three lights if it needs to be mobile. Like it mm -hmm. could be a Profoto B1, yeah. um, or if I need a lot of power on location, then you take a power pack and a power generator mm -hmm. if the budget allows and the right. time allows. Right. Um, so that's generally my approach. And like you rent most of your stuff. I do. Yeah. What I what I do have is the uh, I have Profoto B1s. Okay. And because I could get the most mileage out of those, they're portable and I can use them indoor, outdoors, mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're, they're easy for to, to just run out the door with. Yep. I mean, I got the so the, so those are, are I buy the gear that I could get the most mileage out of. Is it would it be safe to assume that you try to build your lighting systems for each shot using as few lights as possible? No, I use it. I build them to execute whatever I have in my mind. Okay. So without compromise, and then as much as I I can without compromise, and then I'll start with a dream list, and then kind of let reality sink in. Like right, if the client could provide all the budgets for it. Awesome. If not, if it's an idea I really love, I'll go out of pocket from it. If I really love the idea and I could get that shot, so I I, I like to say my my uh, my biggest um, asset is that I, I go off on emotions, and my my biggest flaw is that I go off on, on emotions too. What I mean by that is that if I have an idea of an image like the basketball player or or anything or directing, I always think of the end product and how I will feel when it's done and I execute it. And I never think about how much work I have to do. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to beg, borrow, still do whatever, or or go, you know, or put it on a credit card, or whatever, and yeah. get it done. Yeah, yeah. Um, Otherwise, and, you're just doing passport photographs, taking your attitude, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And um, and, and I say that that's my um, uh, that helps me out that emotional part. And then the downside to that is, it's like, damn. Sometimes it's like, dude, you you could spend um a lot of time on just doing one thing which is not necessarily the best thing. Yeah, but that's also what makes yep. your work unique is the fact that your head does work that way. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just you're just another hack, and there's plenty of hacks out there. There's yeah. plenty of people yeah, who could sit. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting right here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, there's no shortage of people out there who could sit somebody in front of a camera and take a portrait of them. There's mm -hmm. no shortage of that. <laughs> However, to get people who actually will take it and interpret the person and do an interpretive portrait, that's something that requires skill and talent and a little bit of imagination. Can you talk a little bit about? Uh the difference between working in studio and on location in terms of the lighting setups that you use? And not necessarily the lighting setups, but the decisions you're making when you're there? Yeah, I, 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 there's plus and minuses to both. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love in studio because it kind of feels, compared to outdoors, very luxurious. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're in a controlled environment control and you get 100% yeah. of, of, of control of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you could do, a, you could almost, I mean, I could argue that you could pretty much almost do everything in studio if you have a big enough budget. 
because you could make build a set and make it look like a sunlight. You can make it look like the outdoors, um, especially not even with video now. Some of the technology out there is absolutely amazing. Um, and, and you, you can make a sunset last 12 hours. Yeah, th and then when you need to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, 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 that basketball portrait with Tyler. I want to, um, I'm working on doing another uh, video with them. And I scouted out a basketball court in San Francisco where you could see the sunset. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. But since it's a personal project that I want to do to direct more, right, I had to shoot it out in San Francisco and wait till sunset and shoot it. And I know if it was someone talented that I had a, a client with or if I had enough budget, I could recreate that indoors if I wanted to. But like I don't I, since I don't have it's a personal project and a, a client's not paying for it. I can't do that. So I have to, the cheaper way is to actually go get a sunset or go see a sunset and find a location and get it like that. But um, like the studio, I love it. You, got, you get the control, you get all the power you need if you have the studio. And that's the, that's the plus side to it. And um, the outdoors, I, I love them for, you could, you could get blessed by a beautiful cloud, beautiful sunsets that you, you could never expect or happy accidents could happen. You could get wind, it could rain mm -hmm. and that could seem like a down, you know, something bad, but like if right. it gets all the concrete wet, you'll get beautiful reflections sure. and that would never happen in the studio in a control environment. Right. Right. But as far as gear, gear goes for like, um, it, it's comes a little bit more of a logistic things for outdoors. It's like, okay, if we're going to go out, uh, the ballet dancers have shot them all in studio and I want to shoot them in, um, I forget what it's called, but this place in uh, north of San Francisco that has beautiful view of uh, the clouds and the sky and it's quite a bit of a trek up there. So that you have to keep in mind how much gear you could carry realistically, yeah, you know, how many yeah. lights, how many light sure, stands sure. And, and, and all that stuff like that. So that's what I think that you have to consider when you're on location. Yeah. One of the things that you, uh, one of the videos I was looking at, uh, you did a, a series of photographs for a personal trainer, a young lady who's a, a trainer. Yes, actually. And yeah, and I was looking at the pictures. The pictures you took are, are very bold and dynamic. They're really wonderful shots. And then you also posted a lot of the production stills and, and videos of setting up. It was an ugly, dreary, boring day. It was an ugly day. It was the kind of day, okay, let's put this off. But you really made a lot of things happen between the way you lit and the way you gelled. It looked nothing like reality. I, mean, it was, I, I was pretty impressed by how you took blah and made it really strong god thank you <laughs> uh, that. that's why that's why i like to say i'm not a, a journalist or a lifestyle photographer because I, I i i don't I, I like i said i put my own perspective and point of view on things no you have to understand your your equipment to do what you do you can't that's not just luck not at all and yeah. you said you use strobes mostly but have you worked with leds do you, yeah, I do. do you think uh, about leds yeah. i i uh, LEDs are great, and I'm excited for the technology com coming out. I've worked with a lot of light. I work yeah. with HMI. I love sure. HMIs. They're they're my favorite lights. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're they're expensive. They draw a lot of power, and it take about 15 minutes to warm up. Warm up, yeah. yeah. So you can't do a hard strike on them, and you can dim them, which are things I love doing when I'm doing video. But uh, um, and they have a very short lifespan. Yeah. I, well, I've heard to also if the UV filter wears out on the bulb, it could literally burn your talent. So that could be pretty well, dangerous. That's too. true. Yeah, I mean, Cinnabon, I mean. their HMIs come with a little. Each bulb comes with a little warning that I, I forget how many hours it's guaranteed for, but it's not many. It's only a few dozen hours, and then it says after that, uh, the tube is subject to non-passive failure. That means it can blow up. Yeah. <laughs> but non-passive failure, that was the most amazing phrase I'd ever seen in my life. I love the way they worded that. But yeah, the lights are terrific. Yeah, and um, the quality you get from uh, HMI is always going to be different from LED. 
because it's an unstable filament in there. That's mm-hmm. why it takes. It's like the sun. Uh, so it gives it renders on the skin differently than the LED will ever do. Yeah. Uh, so it'll give you a different quality if you could be that you know if you got that you know eye that you could see at. Yeah. Um, but again, that's the trade off for it. And there's some amazing stuff coming out with LEDs that like they're just like portable. That the, that's, the, that's the thing. Yeah. The basketball stuff I'm doing with Tyler, I did two tests for that, mm-hmm. um, and I lit an entire basketball court at night uh, with LED lights. Which just blew me away because I'm like, if that technology didn't exist, and those LED lights have, um, they're from like a company called Light in Motion. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. the, the they have the um, batteries built into them, so there's no wire, there's no generators, or nothing. And I just remember thinking, wow, if this was ten years ago, I would need HMI and power generators, and it would be a whole huge production yeah. mm-hmm. versus just me testing it with Tyler. Mm. So the, a lot of your photos have kind of this well multicolored ambient glow, mm-hmm. and Lighting obviously is important in that, but what about your settings? What about depth of field? How do you control that? Is there some aspect of the settings of the camera that help that? Yeah. So for uh, my images, one of the last things I like to use for visual impact is um, a shallow depth of field. Mm-hmm. Generally, I like to have everything in focus. Mm-hmm. And when you have everything in focus, you have, you have to put a lot of effort and thought into your composition and what's in your frame. When you're doing stuff for for photographically, right? The way you could photographically abstract something is you could blur it out, which is a short depth of field. You could underexpose it, you could overexpose it, or you could distort it visually with a lens. And I like to play with all of those. And the, the one I like to play with the least is the shallow depth of field, just because I feel it's the easiest and it's the most overused. Um, and the only reason you actually reason you would you would do that is if you have a really distracting background and you have no other way to abstract it. You would shoot really shallow, and then you're just abstracting it. And I'm just not a, not not a fan of that. So um, I used uh, I use visual contrast. I use color contrast. I use composition um, to give the image visual impact. Like if you look on a lot of my images, everything's in focus, but it still hopefully draws your attention, and you hopefully still like it. Um, and other people just like rely on a shallow depth of field, and that's it to to make their images. Uh, and I just think that's just, if the narrative calls for it, it's great. But if you're just doing that, cause that's all you know how to do and you're being willfully ignorant, then I, I mean, then I think you're selling yourself short as a creative and doing that. Cause I've done shots at night that look just like they're lo- uh, shot with available light. Quick question before we wrap up for this half. Um, how'd you get into sports? I mean, how'd you get into sports photography? Let's put it that way. How, that's that, what I was going to yeah. ask. I, well, I, mean, I played sports in, um, high school. Yeah. I played football. But I was never really a good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably played because my older brother was a really talented athlete that came naturally to him, never to me. And he couldn't take a picture to save himself, right? My, my brother's a really smart guy. He's a computer guy. He does like <laughs> internet security. But uh, him and I are way different. So yeah, he doesn't really care, care about that. But, uh, uh, and, uh, um, we got the right brain. Uh, we got the left brain. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but he's smart. He makes all, he makes all the money. Um, yeah, but you're having the fun. <laughs> so yeah. And um, I... Um, I guess you know the the the, the sincere answer to is, is that's what I had access to um, because um, when I first got into photography, I um, my little brother played baseball, so I just photographed his little league games, okay. and my sister played JV um, basketball at the high school I went to, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I shot. I shot. I started shooting little league, mm-hmm. and I started shooting uh, my sister's high school basketball games, right. and then football because I played football. And that's not originally what I wanted to do: is be an action photographer, right. like Mike Zagaris. Yeah, like yeah. he used to be a huge uh, inspiration for me. And I, I photographed like the first year, I photographed like every single football game, uh, freshman, JV, and and varsity, and just to get practice. And I just focused on doing that. So you knew and, early on photography was your thing, high uh, school anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that. Um, but that's also a very different type of is. photography than what you're doing right now, though. Mm-hmm. I'm. 
for, for yeah, so you're for, subject to the same, but the, what, what you're doing is different. It's night and day. Yeah. So for for the action stuff, I just found that I love creating something from scratch and something unique. Because what I found with action stuff is, um, it doesn't matter how like when you shoot like NFL games or NBA games, it doesn't matter uh, how cool you think the shot you got, how unique it is. You're not gonna get anything unique where everybody's focused at a pitcher or a football player and there's like 30 really talented photographers all shooting the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. 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 You could try to get a unique angle, which I thought I have, and then and then you go to the wire services and there's like three pictures like it. <laughs> and it, which which is fine. And I and I do sometimes reportage work like that, which is great because you, you get to follow someone around and it's different than, than creating. That's more documenting. Uh, and it does but if if I had to pick the two I like to say there's a difference between taking a picture and making a picture that's it and I would say um, reportage worker doing that you're, you're taking the pictures because everything is almost set up for you and they're they're, they're gonna play there they're gonna compete there or fight there and, and you're documenting that event and making a picture like some of the stuff that I do is kind of going in sometimes to a bathroom and making it and making it work and creating something unique there and if I had to pick the two I could live without taking the pictures the rest of my life but I can't live without making one all right we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to talk to Alexis about some specific images and how he goes about getting work here in the Big Apple stay tuned We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For links to gear and more information on today's guests, check out the show notes in your podcast app or visit our homepage on the B&H Explorer website and join the B&H Photography Podcast Facebook group. And now, back to the show. We are back. Uh, we want to talk about a few of the pictures. And John, you had one, uh, a couple in mind yeah, that you wanted to get into. Yeah, we have a few in mind. And, and again, like, where do you want to start? Ask some of the listeners. Take a look on either on the homepage uh, or you know, go right to Alexa's website. But the first one I wanted to ask about is um, uh, it's the co- the covers for Sports Illustrated, yes. which were the United States Women's uh, National Soccer Team, and it was a series of four shots, right? And uh, they have these smoke or powder effects that go along with them. Can you talk a little bit about how you made those? Yes. So that idea, I it was conceptualized between uh, Brad Smith and the art director from, from Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. And what we were trying to figure out was how to represent um, Team USA without using the flag. Because uh, that's what okay. they used the year before with the men's cover. Where right. Clint Dempsey has the flag. And then they did the other countries and every player from that country had a flag. So what they wanted to do that year was avoid using the flags. So they were asking for ideas and you know we were trying to come up with things to do. And then the art director from Sports Illustrated, um, Chris uh, Hersick, I believe, um, I think I might be butchering his last name, did, came, up, came up with the idea to use powder. Uh, red, white, uh, red, white, and blue powder mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that, and then once we came up with that idea, it was my idea, it was my job to execute it. And uh, so when that happened, I just had to start researching. I reached out to um, a prop stylist about a, um, an air cannon and holy powder and um, or what powder to use. And um, she, you don't uh, want to use chili powder. I yeah. know that. You know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was really important getting a, a prop stylist and doing that because she told me um, she did research on it. Um, and uh, she's like, yeah, it has to be shot outdoors. 
because uh, she told me there was uh, that holy powder is the one that they use for um, the those uh, marathons. Yeah. And she told me that stuff's actually really bad to breathe it in. It is very bad yeah. to breathe in, yes. And then she also said that it's extremely thin. So if you use it indoors, she was telling me that uh, um, uh, a photographer used it indoors in Los Angeles. And they, and they just, you know, used that powder, I guess, in the air cannon or whatever. It's so thin that it went through the to their equipment room. And it ruined all the lenses and lights. Oh, and that photographer was liable, for, or insurance was at least liable for that. So, so she's like, "Don't. We're gonna have to find a way to do it outdoors." So, um, and uh, you could do it in camera. I've seen photographers do that uh, in camera, you know, and do it with models. But there's no way in heck I'm doing that with a professional athlete <laughs> if it gets in their ears or their eyes. Is the end of my career. Uh, they own you. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, I would be known not for a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was uh, renting the parking lot. Uh, in LA on the, for a church and uh, we shot uh, I shot like 37 gigabytes of plates just on a motor drive and the powder like all different kinds of explosions different angles and then um, I shot the athletes I think a few days before and they're on white seamless and they were composited together okay yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, and with the athletes, did you just have like a second to get a few seconds to get each shot, or were they? No, they, the, the women were amazing actually. Yeah, so yeah. for for the women's U.S. national team, they were such a pleasure to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a uh, ten minutes with each player, okay. which is an eternity. That's a luxury. Yeah. Wow. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And uh, people always ask me um, who's been my my favorite athlete to photograph. And I always have mixed feelings about that because uh, Carly Lloyd for that shoot was so uh, combinating and so amazing. She came up to me and because uh, for every shoot, what I do is I, um, even if it's a hotel or anything like that, I bring out my portfolio books um, and I have it out. I make it like it's my own studio. And if I show them something, like I show it to them in print because that, that makes an impact. So I was showing them my books and everything like that. And um, But in the mix of it, like I didn't get to talk to Carly Lloyd. So she just came up to me and she's like, hey, I saw your work. Uh, I really like it. I think you do you do amazing work. And when I was like, oh, thank you. So when her turn came up, uh, she gave me as much time as I needed. I think I shot her for like 25, almost 30 minutes mm-hmm. instead of the 10 minutes. Um, I actually ran out of ideas to do because it's like <laughs> when, when you're not, I, I, that's actually happened to me before because yeah. um, when you get in such a mindset that you sure. only have 30 seconds or one minute or a few minutes with someone, you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, this and this and that. And I got to, you know, be quick. And then sometimes it's like, oh damn, I got more than, than five minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the reason why I feel like I have mixed on that because she was amazing, but like, I just felt like I didn't do her justice. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I don't like, I, I wasn't like, she was really a comment and she was really nice. And I'm like, I just feel like I could have done better on those photos for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, don't you just hate it when they give you more time than you <laughs> yeah, need? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're very inconsiderate, some of these people. Now, so. you have this, this really great photo, in my opinion, of a whole group of athletes. I'm not sure they're high oh, school yeah. or, or college athletes. That's high school. That was a, uh, um, a personal project I did in my old high school. That's your old high school. Okay. Yeah. Sure, and yeah. I wanted to honor athletes of all different stripes. Yeah, the there. best, yeah, the yeah, best yeah. student athletes yeah. on that one. Yeah, and um, okay, I love doing groups. And yeah, it is. And mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time. So, like my approach to groups is um, for for those shots, the way I do them, because I like to do them different than your standard team and individual or, or anything. You go in for backlighting a lot, very strong backlight with mm-hmm. shadows coming forward. I yep. noticed. Yeah, so that that's, that's a, a great dynamic. Yeah, so that's all part of like the composition, having uh-huh. leading lines. Because if you look at that shot, everything's in focus. The windows in the very back are sharp, and so are the shadows going forward. 
So if you're going to have everything in focus, like you have to use other elements, visual mm-hmm. elements to give it visual impact. So you use composition, leading lines, uh, and lighting, overexposure, underexposure, all that to make the, to grab the viewer's attention. So do you remember what the settings were? I mean, the, yeah, so those were, uh, that was F22. Um, that was shot with a Hasselblad digital back. Mm-hmm. So I had the 40 millimeter lens, the, the Hasselblad, the widest one they have. Um, and that it was max top down all the way. It was, I believe it was F22 ISO 100 at 500th of a second. At 500th. Yeah. To Everything's out. in focus with that lens at yeah. F22. Though. Yeah. Because it's, it's all there. A, a 40 millimeter on the Hasselblad is equivalent, I believe, to like a 28 millimeter on a 35. Mm. Yeah. How many lights did you have behind them? I had two lights behind them. So that one was one, two, three, four, five, it was seven lights. Okay. So it was two lights behind them that were bare and then kind of two rim lights to create separation. And in the front, it was uh, two large um, five-foot op- uh, soft boxes and one octobox in the center to be, able to be able to light them. And then your light placement is really important. Those lights in the front were feathered Okay. So they don't hit uh, the floor because right. I don't want to light the floor because right. otherwise right. you don't right. see those shadows. Um, and then the lights on the side have barn doors to, so it wouldn't flare the lens. Mm-hmm. And the ones in the back had nothing on it because they're, they're being covered by the people, the athletes, uh, by yeah. the athletes yeah. and then the mist too as well. Right. right. So um, That's another question. Working with smoke machines and mist, is mm-hmm. that, uh, it has its own challenges, I'm sure. But it, it does. Uh, and, it and it's also stuff. not good to breathe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard. So, so for like the, uh, the ballerina shot with Christine, we shot at um, Santa Monica College. Um, and I, it, it, thankfully, we shot it on, um, it was a holiday weekend. I forget which one it was, but we shot that on a Sunday. Thankfully, the school is empty because we made um, the fire alarm go off. <laughs> so all those photos with the with the that are look really cool on that one were while kind of the alarm was going off. And uh, thankfully, her her fiance was there helping us out. Yeah, because I I wasn't aware of this. I just kept shooting with Christine, and she was cool, and we shot. Uh, but it was like a legit fire alarm. Oh, like like it was sounding like the the um I had to, I had um only one pocket wizard on on one of the the lights, and the other was going off on a slave. I had to turn that one off because the flashing alarm was making that that strobe go off off and on again. <laughs> so, um, so that one that's image, hilarious. an image that I have on there, that's one of my favorite ones that only has one tone. Uh-huh. It's because I had to turn the light off because of the fire alarm. Oh, gotcha. And then uh, Alex, which was her, her fiance, told me that like uh, he went out, he called the the campus security and told him, "Hey, that's us. We did it. It's not a real fire." And then he was saying he was going to the elevators and like tarps came down oh, in front no. of the elevator doors because you know oh, you can't, you can't, oh, oh, yeah. can't so it was like a legit like right, fire alarm right, like right, oh right. my god and um yeah. like i said thankfully we shot that on the sunday yeah because the building was empty right. we did the interview at that place the following day and that school was just like packed yeah. and i'm like if we would have made the alarm go off that day it would have been so embarrassing because it would have to evacuate the entire uh <laughs> canvas so yeah, you just put it down a very large group yeah. portrait outside yeah, that's yeah. All. Right. yeah. Right. so that that's that's something i'm, uh, I'm aware of now is mm. uh you know like um haze and all that can't yeah. make a fire alarm go off yeah, 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 i did it uh, palm springs too earlier this year um i i met a model there that, that was amazing she was modeling for um Dan Winters, uh, I believe also Frank Unkenfeld, and um, I think Nadav Kander too as well. I met her, she was super cool, and uh, she was looking at my work because Bay Photo was displaying it there. Um, so I introduced myself to her and she told me she's photographing for all those people. And I was like, oh, and you're also modeling for Alexis too now. <laughs> and we hit it off, right? And then um, I wasn't planning on shooting. So thankfully, um, Canon was there and I was able to borrow a camera from them and I needed lights and light motions were there. So I borrowed their cameras. Yeah. So I didn't have haze, right? And I didn't have anything like that. So I still wanted to do that effect or something similar. So what I did, I had the brilliant idea of just Man, like, we could let the shower, la- shower run, oh, okay. right? And uh, um, so I let it run in 
in the hot water yeah. to build up the steam. Right. And then I uh, opened the door and uh, we're shooting that. We started, we ended up shooting that because uh, she had long days to model for other photographers. So we started that around 11 at night or almost 11 at 30 when we got to that, to that setup. And then the fire alarm went off. That set off the fire alarm in the apartment. <laughs> and then like, I, it wouldn't go, it wouldn't go off. It wouldn't turn off, right? So I go to the front desk and I'm like, how the hell am I going to say? And I'm like, I was like, I went to the front desk and I was like, hey man, the, the fire alarm won't turn off. He's like, dude, just take off the battery. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't that legal? I'm like, all right, whatever. So I go right, up, right. I take off the battery and it still won't turn off. I mean, because they're hardwired in yeah, hotel rooms. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, eventually it got turned off, but like the model, which model was super cool and amazing. Yeah. Uh, she's one of the, the best models I've ever worked with. Yeah. She was just really cool about it, thankfully. And she was just like, damn, your neighbors must really love you now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, those are so, things you got to be aware of sure, when using totally. that. Yeah. So, do you have a, a, uh, an image on your website uh, as part of the section called Motion Poster with a ballerina? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a combination of still photography and video. Can you talk about that one a little bit? Yes. So, uh, uh, one of the my dream clients or clients that I work for is uh, um, HBO, mm-hmm. and one of the things that a photo um, producer told me is that now they're looking um, sometimes to when they hire photographers how good they shoot motion campaigns mm-hmm. or, or vertical video. Mm-hmm. And um, I always like to say you only need to tell me once, right? right? So I started doing uh, putting looking into that, and mm-hmm. um, that's something I wanted to explore. And um, I started just learning After Effects. I mm-hmm. had an idea how I wanted to do it, and um, someone named CM De La Vega had an amazing like. If you go on YouTube and you search search motion posters, he has tutorials on how to how to do how to make them or how to use After Effects. Um, and he doesn't have a tutorial on how to do what I did, but like I just was able to get the concept on how he how he does them to do my own thing and put my own twist on it and i did that so now i kind of uh, try to incorporate that on every personal shoot that i do just to build up that body of work right. and it's really important and that's actually something that I, i've been meaning to do to go down in la and build an entire um catalog of just like kind of vertical motion videos using kind of the led lights the light and motion lights and shooting them at 120 frames a second uh vertically on the either mirrorless camera um i tend to use canon because i like their color profile and uh and again that's having clarity too because it's like with video having clarity helps you out immensely because you don't need to shoot raw video because shooting raw video on the red camera sounds all great and sexy but like the the back end of that it's an insane amount of space. You need an insane amount of computer power. Mm-hmm. Whether if you could shoot it, if you know what you're doing, you could just shoot it C-log or, or just built everything into the footage. And if you could get the lighting right in camera, you have it done. Yeah. Cool. You have a portrait of, of Hunter Strickland, the, the pitcher for the Giants. I'm not sure he's still playing for the Giants, but yeah, anyway. He, he just won a World Series, actually. I think he's with, the, with Washington. Oh, he's yeah. with Washington? Okay, yeah. All right, I know that. Cool. Um, and... It's pretty cool, and it's kind of different from a lot of your work, but the lighting of his eyes and the several takes that you have, including underneath the baseball hat, which can't yes. be easy. Uh, how'd you get that? Yeah, I that the baseball hats, the one you're wearing, that like stressed me for shoots because it, it, it completely affects your lighting because all lighting is predicated on a person, an anatomy of a person having a nose, mm-hmm. right? Uh, butterfly lighting, loop lighting, rim rat lighting, um, all that a person needs to know. You can't light a dog or a lion like that yeah. because they don't have that that, that feature. And when you put a, a, the bill of the hat, it eliminates all of that. Yeah. 
So what, how yeah, did I, I wore this hat just to mess with you today. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, like knowing that, knowing he was going to wear a hat, it did change my lighting a little bit. So instead of using, I usually use a, a grid, like a five degree grid or a 10 degree grid overhead to give you the, the um, loop lighting that I like mm-hmm. um, or butterfly lighting. So in that shoot, what I did instead is I used a large, a medium softbox, a 30 by 40 Chimera softbox. And I love lighting from underneath. Um, it's just my, pre- like my preference. And um, that's how I was able to light that one. Mm-hmm. You're in from California here in New York yep. for X amount of time. And one of the things you're here for is to drum up new work. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not always easy to see people. It used to be a piece of cake to just pick up a phone and talk to somebody and come in and show them work. It's a lot more complicated I've now. heard it used to be easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it used to, oh, it used to be amazingly easy. Not anymore. Um, and also... We used to carry around large portfolios and it was like an amazing thing when sudden digital came out, you could just carry little tablets or anything and just show stuff electronic. I, me- I remember the first time I dropped off a CD with images on it, my own custom label on it. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I, now I have to buy a computer to look at it. Um, what do you use? What, uh, you mentioned books a few times, yep. solid portfolios, print books. Is that what you're using now? Yes. It is. I still print my books and um, it's very in, important for me because it gives you a good presentation. So I'm tactile that the person could see. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the colors are, are it, it's just, I every meeting that I've been able to get when I could go in a building, whether it's HBO or New York Times, they've always, if they like the work, they've always passed around that book to another editor or to, or to somebody else. And they've never passed around my iPad before. Or computer. Right. So that's I've something, seen that. Yes. And there's something they being able to go back to and refer to. And also it's that larger size and format. Yeah. And yeah, the tactile thing, it doesn't go off when the power goes off. It's there. Yeah. Uh, and I've noticed that that seems to be making a comeback again. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, everybody, all the editors see your images tiny on Instagram and they see them on your website and seeing them in print um, with whatever paper you choose. Yeah. You ha- you ha- the printing is a whole nother art form sure. and a whole nother beast. You could, you, you got the color, the ink you want to use, you, the paper you want to use, it all affects it. And um, a lot of the times um, the print could come out because um, shows a lot more details. Like a print is less forgiven than 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 the image that's digitally uh, just just viewed, and um, you could miss a lot of things just uh, when it's on the little tiny screen on Instagram. Like I have a new shot of a of a ballerina with two shadows that I did. Um, I haven't posted it yet digitally, um, but I have it in my book, and you could appreciate uh, you could see the lipstick color that's red and why I kept it with color because of that because of the makeup artist put, and you could appreciate that in print, and you can't really see it on Instagram or on the website much. So little details like that make an impact and you want to make an impact uh, and be memorable when you're meeting somebody that, that wants to hire you. Um, Especially so, when there is 80,000 other people out there trying to get the same job as you. Yeah, I know. It's you also, I mean, it, you also have your promotional little book. That here, brochure, magazine, which brochure, is nice. It's like your own magazine. Yep. Postcards. Mm-hmm. You do bring your laptop and you bring headphones with you yes. for motion. So you kind of bring everything you might possibly need, right? I mean. Absolutely. And how, how much, how much would you say of percentage-wise, if you want to go that way, of your time, do you spend drumming up business in that form? I try. I always, what I always like to try to say, at least, is that um, I try to spend as much time promoting and marketing my work as I do making it. Yeah. Or if not, if anything, it should be double the time marketing your work as you do making it. Hmm. Because if you're the best photographer in the world or if you have the best images in the world and you, nobody knows you did them, you're just as useless as someone who sits on the couch every day and doesn't do anything. Like, you can't be... Um, you know, it's so funny being uh, um, 
for me that I'm a photographer because I always like to say I'm I'm way more of a lover than a fighter. But if you want to be an artist, you kind of almost have to be a fighter and your own champion because it's like you have to market your work. You have to kind of be unapologetic. And and that happens on all, on, on with everything, even with people who want to work with me. Like I did a shoot with a, a brand from Nicaragua called Milka Roja. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I met with the president in Miami, the president who runs the company. He, we had a great meeting. He liked my work and everything was set forward. And I still had to follow up with him like three or four times to make the shoot happen. And it's like you can't you can't be shy about it. You have yeah. to you know go out there, promote your work, market it, and, and if you, no one else is going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a, a lot of photographers or, or quote unquote artists need to get um, you get over it. Be like, dude, you need to. And the way I like to see it, uh, or what I tell myself at least, is the reason why I need to show my work and go around is because I'm humble, right? Because I like to say, oh, like how arrogant do I have to be? To be like, oh, dude, I only show you this once, and I'm and I expect that I'm gonna get hired a hundred times. It's like, no, nah, dude, like I could think it about working. It took me a great. while to find that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That's so a great I, point. Yeah. that's yeah, at least yeah. that's what I tell myself. I'm like, because if, if I don't, if I'm not showing my work consistently and a lot, then that just means that I'm being arrogant, and I think that, oh my god, I think I'm so amazing. People are just gonna automatically hand me work. No one's handing me anything ever. Like mm-hmm. everything I've gotten, like HBO took me two, three years to get consistently going there, Sports Illustrated, two years. ESPN, you would think it's like my bread and butter. That took me four years to get. Uh, anything worth having, you just have to be prolific at it and consistent. Um, one of the things I tell um, uh, students when I speak, and, and I hate saying this because um, I'm such a strickler for quality and doing good work and executing your vision, is that you could almost get away, in my opinion, with doing C work, but being really nice Right, being kind and mm-hmm. thoughtful, mm-hmm. which sounds generic, but most importantly, follow up and follow through with people and stay in touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that right last thing I think is most key thing about okay. that because it takes a lot of perseverance and consistency. Do you work with a rep? It sounds like you do all of your own hustling. I, I don't. I don't. Work. I used to have a, a rep, but uh, um, I just I um, reps represent the whole roster. Yeah. And I have no problem picking up the phone and, and going after clients or doing spec work or doing what I need to do. So not yet. Mm-hmm. See, Sounds most like creative it. types, and I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying this, I, I'm, gonna willing, I'm willing to say 75% of creative types don't understand that and don't know how to do it properly. They don't know how to promote themselves and sell themselves. And I think that's just part of being a creative type. You don't think in those terms. Whereas most people who are business-oriented can't draw a straight line. Yeah. Which actually doesn't mean anything because in nature there are no straight lines. So I just wiped that whole <laughs> argument out. Um, yeah. so <laughs> you, you mentioned briefly there that some work you did with the Nicaraguan company, and I know you you, you come from Nicaragua, but um, you mentioned when we met last time a project that you're working on. I guess it's a very personal project. Yes. Trend. You want to tell us a little about that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny to kind of piggyback on that last thing on there. That's, that's one of the reasons why I market my work and I'm not almost unapologetic about marketing my work because it's like the opportunities that I have here. It's like my parents gave up so much to come here. I came here when I was six because um, in the, I was born in 83. And in the 80, in 79, the crowd went through a revolution and they had a dictator uh, that was overthrown and but the, it was taken over by another dictator that was a Marxist. Um, so I was born not necessarily the best time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, literally, my mom, my mom was telling me like uh, in the hospital when she gave birth to me, she had to share a bed with two other women on a communist hospital. So that's how bad things were. And there's no baby pictures of me because there was like no film available, nothing available. Uh, and the way things were there in the eighties were if you didn't support the political party, you weren't allowed to shop at supermarkets or anything. 
you'd have to wait in line to get your, you know, your ra- your rations or whatever they would give you. Um, so in 89 is when I came here when I was six years old. So that is the reason why I like, I just, I have the opportunity to, to make photographs for a living. A lot of photographers say they're problem solvers. Um, and I like to say, if your biggest problem is figuring out how to light something or logistics or something, uh, that's not a problem. I, I like to say I'm a pr- privilege solver. Because like at the end of the day, yeah, I love it. No one, no one is dying. That you know what I mean. So it's like, love it. like sure. right. Um, and and why I don't like, I don't mind, you know, putting in time or doing all that stuff. Because it's like, well, poor me, I'm going after my dream, right? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> no one's gonna feel sorry for me. But um, so that's part of the reason why why I like uh, um for the marketing part that I just go out and do it. But um, the project I did is that that dictator that was during the '80s. He went back in power again. Uh, he's been back in power, I believe, since um, a couple of years. But the thing is, he just kept, he kept pushing the human rights violations so much. Uh, people were protesting, and they just started executing people. Um, so it, it just got really bad again, like it was in the '80s. And it's the same guy that did all the stuff. And um, so uh, Miss Nicaragua, two thousand sixteen, uh, came to the United States and, and got political asylum, thankfully. Uh, and uh, we did a project together to bring awareness of what was happening in Nicaragua, of what's happening in Nicaragua, mm-hmm. which is great because it made the news down there, and it got published in a newspaper, and that's the personal project I've been most proud of. But uh, it was also really frustrating too because I like to be on that project. I did not want to be an artist. I wanted to be direct mm. and and directly address the person who's doing all that and everything, and I couldn't because the way that government is right now taking uh, power or everything, to give you an idea, the current Miss Nicaragua, or at the time that was happening last year, 2018, uh, she brought out a, um, a white dove during the Miss Universe pageant to kind of um, to try to represent peace for, for Nicaragua. They saw it as an attack against the government because right. she's not supporting it. Right. So what they did is they shut down her parents' business in Nicaragua. Hmm. And then they also didn't let Miss Universe run in Nicaragua because she wasn't supporting the government. Uh, so to give you that's what they do to you so sure. when I was working with Marina like we had to be really kind of indirect and abstract of on the things we wanted to do and that was really frustrating for me mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean doing that because it's like damn I'm still kind of being silenced and oppressed even though he's 3,000 miles away and that's just really frustrating because I, I like to say if you're afraid to speak the truth then you're not free Right, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's a project that's really rewarding, but at the same time, kind of double-edged sword that is kind of a little bit frustrating. Yeah, um, but I'm proud of, and um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I want to continue doing that work, but it's um, uh, I'm gonna have to use um, the last thing I want to do is use models that are not Nicaraguan. Uh, but that's probably what I'm gonna have to do, and not have that connection on for there. Because for their sakes, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, if yeah. you do that, then like, that's I mean, that's how a coward t- stays in power. They won't threaten you; they'll threaten your family or someone innocent. Right. You know, and that's the frustrating part <laughs> that I was trying <laughs> yeah. to figure out and deal with. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Alexis, uh, the hour goes by real fast here, uh, and we cover some great stuff. And there's probably a lot more things we could talk about, but we don't have time. For our listeners who'd like to see more of your work, where can they go? Uh, everything is my name.com. Alexis Charisma is my website.com. Mm-hmm. And that's A L E X I S. And my last name is C U A R E Z M A. Uh, hopefully, there'll be a link in this, but <laughs> yeah, everything totally. is my name. Oh, yeah, we're going to have links on, a home, uh, on a, Twitter. Yeah, sure uh, my Twitter, my Instagram, it's all my first and last name, mm-hmm. including my YouTube channel. And uh, on my YouTube channel, we're, we're filming this podcast, mm-hmm. so I'll put up clips of it um, or the whole thing, or I'll figure something out in a way Great. you guys could, could see it there too, um, or like little quick 
five-minute sound bites so you mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. get what you mm-hmm. need. And check out these tutorials. And they're on the on the YouTube channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. do yeah. a tutorial. Yeah. Um, I have a, a breaking down the vision, and mm-hmm. I draw on the pictures, and I talk about yeah. how I, my thought my thought process and everything. Great stuff. Totally. Cool. Very good. All right. That's a wrap of another fine show, if I may say so myself. If you are not a regular subscriber to our show, all you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Overcast, or Spotify and sign up. It is absolutely free. And you can also find us on the BH Explorer website as well as the BH Photography Podcast Facebook group. For now, I am your host, Alan Weitz, and on behalf of John Harris and Jason Tables, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs>